So then, uh, let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we praise you today. We honor you and we bless you. And we are, Lord, filled with joy at the very thought of you. Holy God, we, we look to you this day, the author of life and the one who gives to us our life and our breath and everything else. Sovereign creator. Oh Lord, you hold the world in your hand. You guide history according to your purpose. Lord, you have made everything for your own glory. And so, Lord, we, your creatures, glorify you this day. We praise you and we honor you and we worship you. And we do esteem you, Lord, more valuable than anything. We thank you for the privilege that we have to know you by your calling and by your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your holy word, which you have given to us to uh, reveal yourself to us. We thank you for Jesus, the living word, who has come in the flesh, God the Son in the flesh, to show us your character, to reveal yourself to us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we do thank you and bless you and honor you this day for the Holy Cross, where, Lord, our sins were paid in full that the debt of our sins was canceled and that your eternal mercy was poured out on us. We thank you, Lord, for the precious blood of Christ. And it is indeed precious to us. God, help us to treasure it. Help us to esteem and honor you for your great sacrifice to us. Help us to see clearly all that you have done and So, Lord, as we uh, study your word this morning, I pray that you would bring light to our eyes, that you would give us understanding and help us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus and in all that you have done for us and all that you are doing in us. I pray that you would help us, God, to see the importance of loving our Lord Jesus and putting him in the place of preeminence in our life. God, help us to... Uh, see ways that we can apply this to our life and and uh, Lord by it that you would transform us so that we may be like you we thank you for your love to us we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here with your holy family we thank you for the freedom that we have in this city in this country that we can freely come and worship you and and proclaim your word we ask God that you would continue this freedom Lord, to our children and to our children's children. Please, God, we thank you for your love and your mercy to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, with that, we, uh, we're kind of ending up the section of our lesson on the person of Christ. And uh, if you will, our whole teaching... Um, series this year is called the savior the cross and the gospel and if you will this is kind of the end of the section on the savior or on the person of jesus christ and so we're we're ending this uh section with um a set of lessons called learning to love christ supremely 
And uh, <clears throat> it would be one thing to know things about Christ. It is another thing entirely to know him intimately and to love him. Amen. And I would like to suggest that that is the reason why he saved us. The reason why he saved us is so that he, by his doing, could enter into relationship with us and love us intimately and so that we could return that love to him. Amen? Amen. And so, if you will, we uh, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus himself is supremely valuable and that because of that, <clears throat> that... Um, we ought to hold him or regard him in the place of highest value. That we ought to hold him or regard him as supremely valuable, like he is in truth. And, um, of course, we talked a lot about that. But, you know, just, just the whole idea, the more I, I ponder this truth, the more I realize how fundamental this is to everything that exists. Uh, I look around and I think about the fact that there's so much sin in the world. And I try to relate that to this idea of loving Christ. And to me, it's really clear why there's so much sin in the world. And it's because there is such a lack of love and honor for Christ. There is sin in the world because there is a disregard for God. There is a disregard for Christ. There is a disregard for his virtue, his goodness, his love, his holiness, his justice. Men in their rebellion have completely wiped him just about from their thoughts. And it is almost like in the days of Noah, every imagination of his heart was only evil continually. And uh, no doubt it will be very much like that just at the time that he comes again to restore all things. Amen? And uh, so, if you will, there's a fundamental reason why things are the way they are and why things are happening the way they're happening. And uh, if you will, it's all related to this thing about what we value. And uh, your Christian life is all about what you value. And uh, any of the things that you're facing in your life, the, the struggles, the problems that you face, in your life are all about what you value. And many times God is testing us to see whether we truly value him. And uh, if you will, these kinds of concepts are all through the scripture. But I'd like for you to consider, as we talk about these things, your own heart and your own life and what you truly value, what you genuinely value inside your heart. You know, I often think about if I'm having a disagreement with somebody in my family or with a friend or somebody at work or something, and, and I kind of begin to think about the roots of, of what that conflict is about, as James tells us. Why do you quarrel? Why is there quarreling among you? Is it not because of the lusts that are in your heart, the things that you desire, the things that you value and so if you will this is why I if you will am making an urgent plea that we as Christ's people would put him in that place of highest regard that we would put him in that place of value 
Are we having conflict? Are we having struggle? Maybe we should begin to value peace more than we do. Are we depressed? Are we having dark days? Maybe we should begin to esteem and value joy. And if you will, the source of it. Like never before. I'm convinced that no matter what the struggle is that we face, the answer lies in this. Is Christ in that place of preeminence in our heart and in our mind, in our thinking? What is it that's got you depressed? Or the psalmist writes, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And he reminds himself, (laughs) In your depression, consider God. Consider his kingdom. Consider his power. Consider his promise. And put your hope in him. Amen? I'm convinced, no matter what the struggle, no matter what the trial, it is resolved in this. Having Christ in the proper place in our heart, in our mind, in our emotions, in our will, in the deepest part of our heart. If you will, treasuring Christ is the resolution to all of life's problems. And, um, of course, that is especially true to those of us who know him. Because those who don't know him really cannot properly treasure him. Amen? Amen. And so, if you will, that's what this is all about. And, And so if Jesus is supremely valuable, then we ought to value him as supreme. We ought to regard him as supreme. And so this is uh, kind of where we left off last week on page 32, talking about the fact that Jesus must be supreme in our affections. That he must be supreme in our affections. And uh, we talked about the fact that uh, you know the whole idea of worship is... You know, the word worship comes from the idea of ascribing worth to or, or placing worth or placing value. What do you worship? Well, you worship what you value. What do you value? You value what you worship. It is what you give your heart to, what you give your mind to, what you give yourself to, what you give your thinking to, what you give your conversation to what you give your energies to, what you give your money to, what you give your talent and your treasure and your time, that's what you worship. And, and family, we were created to worship all of the creatures that God has made. He made for this purpose to glorify Him, to worship Him, to extol the excellencies of His nature. Amen? Why did God make majestic mountains? So that people would see the mountains and say, God must be a majestic God. Amen? And why did God make a creation of infinite beauty? So that people would look at the creation. So that intelligent people, mankind, could look at the creation and say, Oh, God must be an infinitely beautiful God. Amen? And so that everything exists to reflect the glory and the excellency of God's own character and nature as God. Amen? That's his highest purpose. God's highest purpose is to glorify himself. Amen? Amen. And he's the only being for which that is right. Amen? Amen? It, It would not be right for me to seek as my highest purpose to glorify myself. Why? Because I am not infinitely worthy of glory. Amen? I'm just a creature. I don't possess the value that God possesses. Therefore, if I was to glorify myself or seek to glorify myself, 
my, my energies, my treasuring, my talent, my, my drive, my worship would be in the wrong place. I would be having my uh, value system of valuing things improperly. It would be degraded from, from the true grade of what is truly glorious. Are you with me? Yes. So this is, what, this is the whole problem in the world is that men don't value and esteem what is properly and truly to be valued and what is truly valuable. Are you with me? Men don't worship what should be worshipped. Men don't regard love. Therefore, there's a lack of love in the world. Men don't regard justice. So justice is fleeing from the land. Are you with me? Okay, so... If Christ is, in fact, the all-glorious God, then he ought to be supreme in our affections. He ought to be what we worship. We're Christians. We're of Christ. Amen? We gather together to worship Christ. We, this is what we give our lives to. This is what we give ourselves to. And this is what we were created for. It is expressed in the commandments so clearly, Right? The Lord comes and he's going to write the commandments on the stone. And what does he say first and foremost? He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen. And so the first commandment is that God have that place of preeminence in our life. Amen. And it's, it rings so true even today. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing, you can look at somebody's life and you can see if their life is in order or if it's in disarray. It will be in degree to, to the degree to which they have God in the first place. You want to know why your life is a wreck? Let me tell you why. Jesus is not in the place of preeminence. And when he is you'll have a life of peace. You know why? He's the Prince of Peace. Again, whatever the struggle, whatever the trial, family, it's all about what you value. Do you properly value Christ? If you do, you will possess Him. You were created to do that. You were created to worship. You were created to glorify God. You have intense drive and desire in your nature to put your worship and your valuing on something. That's the way God made you. Well, <clears throat> we got this view of heaven from Revelation chapter 5, where the scripture gave us this vision or this panorama in, chapter, in uh, verse 12 and following. There it said, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, that is Jesus to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And if you will, in heaven, this is what is going on. In heaven, everything glorifies God. When everything has found its rightful place and God has reconciled all things together in Christ, this is what we will see. We will see a place where every created thing holds Christ in the place of preeminence. 
That's where the world is headed, family. And, and for those who do not know him and do not obey his gospel, the scripture says they will be shut out from his presence with eternal destruction. And from the majesty of his power, they will be shut out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And um, the, the whole creation is going to wind up in this expected end. That is, Christ being preeminent. That's why he created everything. That he might be the preeminent one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. So then, in considering how this applies to us, and holding him in that place of uh, proper uh, uh, regard for him to be supreme in our affections, we must love him more than anything. Amen? We must treasure him more than anything. If we love something more than Christ, we have misplaced affections. Because he is altogether lovely. He is altogether worthy of our love and our adoration. Amen? He is therefore... uh, uh, that that thing where our love and our devotion is properly placed on him. If we love something more than him, our affections are misplaced. They're in the wrong place. They're degraded affections. They're downgraded from where they should be. They should be on Christ. He should be where our affections, our desires, our lusts, if you will, our passion, the thing that we want should be Christ. Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee I find. Amen? As the hymn writer says. And so, um, to, to, uh, to, to not to love him is to have a degraded mind. And it's to throw contempt on the highest manifestation of human excellence and divine love. Not to love Jesus is the greatest sin. It is the very nature of sin. The very nature of sin is not loving Christ. Think about that. This is why the scripture pronounces a curse upon all who fail to love Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 22, Paul says this in closing to the Corinthians. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha. And of course, the word Maranatha is an invitation for Christ to come. Amen. It means come, O Lord. Bring your kingdom, Lord. Amen. And remember that in the New Testament, when you see the word Lord with the capital L, that's speaking of who? Jesus. And even though that title is the covenant name for God from the Old Testament, which is the word Jehovah, right, or Yahweh, uh, in the New Testament, that word is most often referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so here's what the, the scripture says there. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Okay? I want to talk a little bit about that. This is to say that if you do not love Christ, you are accursed already. Think about it. If you do not love Christ, are you blessed or are you cursed? You see, this is the state in which you exist. Either you love Christ and you are blessed by virtue of it, or you do not love Christ and you are accursed by virtue of it. Are you with me? 
In fact, the very state of being accursed is the state of not properly valuing that which is truly valuable. If we love and adore that which is wretched and worthless, we are then by virtue of this wretched and worthless. If our value system loves that which is worthless, then what are we? I mean, if, if, all you, if all you love is death and dying and, and whatever is wretched and poor and miserable, then what end do you have but death and dying and that which is miserable and poor? But if you love what is good and righteous and holy and joyful and altogether filled with virtue and loveliness and beauty, then what is it that you cons- in which you consist? You consist in those things which you love and which you worship. This is what I'm saying. The very state of being accursed is valuing that which is worthless. Are you with me? This is the, this is the nature of how everything is in the world. It's very important about learning how to grow in our faith and learning how to grow in our relationship to God. If we truly love what is supremely lovely and virtuous and valuable, we will then by lovely, we will then be lovely and virtuous in ourselves. You know, if, if we love that which is lovely, then we're going to possess it. We're going to pursue it. We're going to seek it. That's going to be what we we're not going to uh, truly be loving and compassionate until we truly desire to be loving and compassionate. Are you with me? Otherwise, it's just a facade. It's just a mask. It's not true. It's not genuine. It's not real if that isn't what we truly value. Are you with me? And we do that. Think about how we do that. We put on a mask because we're deceiving. We have a different purpose than that which we truly are trying to manifest are you with me and that's what deceit is it's trickery right it's not representing honestly what is being put forward are you with me so then if we truly love what is supremely lovely and virtuous and valuable we will then be lovely and virtuous in ourselves because we properly value what is truly virtuous now I, you know, I, I have this understanding about this, and it's, it's really difficult for me to articulate. But uh, so bear with me, okay? <laughs> I'm trying to find words to express this thing that I have from God about this truth, and it's, it's been very difficult for me to figure out how to articulate this. But I, I, I'm, I'm going to point to some sections of Scripture and try to discuss it with you because I think that for for many Christians, you know, we're so hungry for God and we really want to grow. I think this is a key. I think it's a key issue for us. If we can learn to put him in this place where we treasure him, we long for him, we desire him above every other thing. Listen, everything else is going to fall into its proper place. He, he puts it this way. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. You with me? That's another way to state the great commandment in my mind. Put him in that place of treasuring. Put him in that first preeminent place in your heart and in your mind. And everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right when Christ is the king. Amen? Okay, well, so then, this idea is is that we become what we value. 
we become what we worship. And this is what the scripture says. In Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18, there the psalmist is discussing the idolatry of the nations, and he says this. He says, The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. You know, think about this, this idea. These idols that the nations make in the time of the psalmist, right? Whatever they may be. Let's just say, you know, a wooden figurine that's got gold hammered on it and it's this nice pretty idol. Uh, or maybe it's a big one. Or maybe it's a little tiny one. But the idea is that they have this idol and they worship this idol. And, and here's what, uh, what the psalmist is saying. They have eyes and they can't see these idols. They have eyes that are made by men, but they can't see, and ears and they can't hear, and mouths and they can't speak. It's just a stupid block of wood. Are you with me? And he's saying the nations, they worship these things. And then he says, all who worship these things will be like them. They will become like them, altogether worthless. It's just a piece of wood with some metal hammered on it. Amen? And, and this is, if you will, what the Bible calls the folly of idolatry or the foolishness of the worship of idols. And this is why God commands his people, you shall not do this. Because when you do this, you will become like it. You will be worthless. Right? So this is what the scripture says. If we worship dead idols, which are mute, deaf, and dumb, we shall become like them. Mute, deaf, and dumb. This only stands to reason, does it not? I mean, if, 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 you, if that's what you love, if that's what you treasure, if that's what you long for, guess what? You're going to be like that. You are like that because that's how you are. That's what you worship. That's what you value. You are what you worship, if you will. Okay, now don't take that too far. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're the eternal God. There's only one of him. Are you with me? However, if you worship him, you shall become like him. You shall be in his likeness. Amen? <clears throat> so then, this only stands to reason. If we ascribe worth to anything, it is that thing which we pursue and ultimately seek to possess. If that is a dead idol, a piece of wood and metal, then wood and metal we will have. What a wretched state we are in if we value dead and lifeless things. Consider what ignorance is in man that he would value and honor a worthless thing above the great and glorious creator who made it all. Think about what a wretched state man is in. He, it says in Romans, has exchanged the glory of the immortal God for created things. Amen? With what blindness has man been stricken as to do such a deplorable thing? What profit would be gained to a man for bowing down to a block of wood? Indeed, those who worship a dead, lifeless thing will become like them, a dead, lifeless thing. They will be cut off from the source and author of life. The scripture addresses this folly of idolatry in Isaiah 44. And I want to point you to this passage 
and talk to you about this idea or this concept of how foolish it is to worship something other than God. But I want you, as we go through this, to think about in the back of your mind that this isn't just applying to the nations who in the time of the Old Testament used to bow down and worship idols. Okay? You're all familiar with the idea and the concept about whatever it is that you give your time and your talent and your treasure to, that's what you worship. And if that's not God, then it is an idol. It is something that you have put in the place of God. It is something by principle that you are doing this thing of idolatry with. And family, let me tell you, it's not just blocks of wood. Okay? We all have all kinds of false gods in our life. If we're not careful, we'll give ourselves to them. You know? And, and it can be very deceiving. Okay? We do this with people. Listen, we do it with a new baby in the family. Think about it. We have a new baby in our family, my extended immediate family. And uh, that new baby is just the joy and the treasure of everybody's life. Okay? I tell you, you get the whole family in a big room. There's 20 or 30 people there. That little baby, man, he's just in the center, man. Everybody's eyes are lit up, and they're just watching that child, and he's just ruling the roost. You know, going from one person to another. And as he walks to each chair, they're like, oh, oh, is he going to give me his affection? Have you ever watched that go on? (laughs) And everybody's just enamored with that child. And that's good. The child should be loved and encouraged and consoled and spanked and so on. (laughs) But, you know, the, the point is this. Listen, if we're not careful... You look at how everybody's paying such close attention to that child. You imagine they're that way with Jesus. Good question, huh? Good question. I wonder who really occupies the place of preeminence in our life. We do this with spouses, right? We, we do this with, with all kinds of relationships in our life. We, you know, if you're single, we do it with girlfriends and boyfriends. And let me tell you, it gets us in big trouble many times. Amen? Amen. I mean, it's this kind of thing is all around his family. We do this with cars. We do it with houses. We do it with jobs and careers and even the idea of work. Right? And uh, there are so many things that take this place and become idolatrous for us. Amen? I heard a preacher recently talking about going to a football game. And, and he was, of course, joking about the whole thing, but he got in there and all these guys are dressed up and they got all kinds of paint all over their bodies and they're drinking beer and spending all kinds. They're in a $450 million stadium and, and uh, there's this big sporting event going on. Everybody's uh, carousing and hollering and yelling and screaming. He says, my God, he says, I've joined a cult. <laughs> you know? And, you know, he, he really, you know, there was some real truth in what he was saying. Think about what goes on there and how people are just giving themselves to this, this sporting event. Imagine what would happen if the world rallied like that around the cause of Christ. Are you with me? And so we need to understand this idea that, you know, we're, we're susceptible to this. It's, it's in our fallen nature. Okay, and I'm suggesting to you to put Christ in that place 
And that this is how you will grow in your in the likeness of Christ. This is how you'll grow in your faith. This is how your problems in your life will be resolved. Is to put Christ in that place of preeminence in your life. In your heart, in your mind, in your thinking, in your treasuring. That which you give your time and your talent and your treasure to. Are you with me? Uh, but consider this passage in Isaiah. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Or I, I've printed out verses 9 through 11 there. You know, I'm going to turn and open my Bible because I want to read from verse 6. Because God is, is speaking to his people. And this is what he says in Isaiah 44, 6. He says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last, and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me, God says. He's trying to get his people, consider, I am the Lord. I'm your Redeemer. He says, I'm the first and I'm the last. He asks his people, he says, who is like me? It's a question God is asking to every one of us. Amen? Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation. And let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. And so God is saying, look, there's nobody like me. I, I'm the one who started the whole thing in the beginning and I'm going to be there at the end. In fact, he says, I am the beginning and the end. Amen. And he says, I know of no other rock. He says, I am the everlasting rock in whom you shall put your trust and your hope. Amen? But then, if you will, what follows is a rebuke. It's a rebuke to uh, his people and all who enter and engage in this practice of idolatry. This is what he says. Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile. And their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. You see what he's talking about there? He's talking about idolatry. He says they fashion a graven image and he says what they're doing is futile. It ends up in nothing, in worthlessness, right? And then he talks about it and he says it is to them their what? Their precious things. And God says they're of no profit. They're of no profit, these things that are precious to you idolaters. In verse 10, who has fashioned a God or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand up. Let them tremble. Let them together be put to shame. Okay, and there's this contrast going on in this passage between men who make things and God who makes everything. There's this contrast between men and idols and what men can fashion with their hands and what God has fashioned with his hands. Okay, with that he goes on, verse 12. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. 
Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of a man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir tree and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat and he he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. You get the idea? It's like, you know, here's this great intelligent enterprise that's going on. Right? God, is, through the mouth of his prophet, is mocking. He's mocking these, these idolaters. Okay? He says, look at what you're doing. You're taking a piece of wood, and half of it you cook your fire. The other half of it you bow down and worship it. You see that? He, he, go, he goes on. He says, but the rest of it he makes into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, deliver me, for thou art my God. They do not know. Look at these words. They do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. And no one recalls, Nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire and also have baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest into an abomination and I fall down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside and he cannot deliver himself nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And if you will, this is describing the natural state of man who is given in the folly of sin to idolatry. And that reference there to God in verse 18, he has smeared over their eyes. Family, that's the consequence that God warned Adam about. In the day you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. And this is what happened. Man, through the tempting of the evil one, has been blinded so that he cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 But this is the nature of idolatry. In the words of John MacArthur, it's an asinine enterprise. Are you with me? (laughs) You know, the whole idea that we would take some created thing and that we would worship it above God or that we would fashion this thing and say, Thou art my God, deliver me out of the same thing we cook our dinner with. Are you with me? That's what idolatry is. It's foolishness. It's folly. We, we, we're not using our brain when we do this thing. Yet every one of us is given to it. We so easily give ourselves, we're so easily satisfied. Are you with me? With worthless things. When all the while, the Creator is there to be worshipped and adored. Amen? 
this this idea of of folly is a ridiculous thing. It's absolutely ridiculous. Okay? And as we think about the way that we value Christ and the things about our life, think about your life. What is it that you treasure? What is it that you give your time and your talent, your treasure to? I think that the church is filled with people who have an idea what this is about, but pay no attention to it. You know, we come to church week after week and we hear the word of God preached and, 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 you know, we go right back out in this world that's filled with all kinds of idols and toys and things, if you will. Are you with me? And we give ourselves to these worthless things. And I'm telling you, Christ is the one who should properly fill that place in our life of treasuring, of desiring, of longing. Okay? And we wonder why we have so many problems. We wonder why we have so many struggles and trials. Listen, I'm not saying if you treasure Christ, you'll never have problems. In fact, you'll probably have new problems. Like persecution and things like that. (laughs) Right? But let me tell you, those things will come with peace. They'll come with joy. They'll come with the fruit of the Spirit like never before. Are you with me? And you'll be exchanging your life in this world for eternal life in another world. Or Jesus puts it this way, whoever wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Amen? And that's his call for anyone who would follow him. And so, you know, again, here's what Jesus is saying. You cannot love your own life more than you love me. If you do, you're not worthy of me. Amen? Amen? And so, listen, he should take that place even before our own very life. That we would not love our own life so much as to shrink from death, in the words of Revelation 12. Amen? Are you with me? Let me tell you, God's serious about this. It's a serious matter. Let me tell you, there's no more serious matter. Period. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You with me? That's the first commandment. The first commandment. So, then what went... We see what a ridiculous endeavor it is to worship that which is less than valuable. Knowing that, and see, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying if God is not the one that's in that place, you have misplaced affections. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, it's one thing to, to, to worship a car. Okay? Because a car really is pretty worthless, frankly. It's a piece of metal. Okay? I know it's good for getting to work and so on, but the idea is that Okay, that's that's pretty bad, okay? Maybe it's not quite so bad if you have those same kinds of desires for a person, for a spouse, or for a child, or something like that. Because, of course, you are to esteem others. You are to esteem your fellow man. There is a, a right way to have a, a desire and longing and relationship with people. Amen? But if we're not careful, and those things take that place of preeminence in our life, then we're right back in the same spot. And that's why I say it's, 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 a, it's a ridiculous endeavor to worship anything which is uh, less valuable than Christ. He's the one that possesses the supreme value. 
then our supreme value must be placed on him first. Are you with me? Okay. Knowing this, we should all be all the more eager to worship the glorious creator, Jesus Christ. Even Jesus himself taught us that our love for him was to exceed all other loves and affections in our lives. Like he says in Luke 14:25, now great multitudes uh, were going along with him. And he turned and said to them, okay, so get the picture here, right? There's a great multitude following Jesus, right? Kind of like, you know, you turn on Christian TV. There's a great multitude following Jesus, right? Jesus knows I got all these folks following me, right? So he says, this is a problem. So how does he fix that problem? Well, he just speaks the truth and he turns to them and he says, Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The word hate here does not suggest positive antagonism, but rather to love less. Okay, Jesus is using a, a, a metaphor by by contrast. Okay, he he, um, he he doesn't really want us to hate our mother and our father and our brother and our sister now, does he? No, no not in that sense of the word. But here's what he's saying. Our love for Christ must be so strong that all other love is like hatred in comparison to it. In fact, we must hate our own lives and be willing to lose our lives and carry our own cross to follow him. Amen? You understand what Jesus means when he says carry a cross, right? Or should I say carry his own cross? That's the instrument of your own death. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, you need to carry the instrument of your own death to where I am going. Understand? Well, we must love him more than our own very lives because he is more valuable than our very lives themselves. When we do this, we have properly placed our affection on that which is worthy of our love. And we will then become like him because we value his virtue and long to possess it more than anything else. If you treasure joy, you will seek to be joyful. If you honor and esteem justice, you will seek to be just in all your affairs. If you esteem love and compassion as most valuable, then you will become loving and compassionate. If you honor, esteem, venerate, treasure, and glorify God more than anything else in all of his glorious virtue, then you will become like him because you will seek to possess him above all other things. You see that? Let me remind you what the scripture said. We become like what we worship. Are you with me? I mean, if you truly and genuinely in your heart love justice, the last thing you want to do is do something that's unjust. Amen? <clears throat> and so, so it is with this whole idea of treasuring Christ, of loving Christ, of having Christ as supreme in our affections. You, are you struggling with a sin? Maybe there's a sin in your life that, 
you know, it's just got you racked. You just can't beat that thing. I'll give you an example. You know, one I, I, I have been at war with for many years. It's my anger. When I got saved, I was a very, very angry young man. Let me tell you, as you struggle with your anger, and you're blowing your top, I want you to think about this idea. What do you love more? Do you love your anger, or do you love Christ? Because you can't have them both. Especially, of course, I'm talking about sinful anger, and not holy anger. Right? But think about it. The next time you're blowing your top because you're being impatient with people around you or because you have some other lust or desire that's under the surface and anger is just the manifestation of your lust that's not being met, at least as far as you're concerned. Right? And then think about how you're treasuring Christ in that moment. Think about how you're treasuring Christ in that. It's a common struggle in parenting. Is it not? We have young children that just frustrate us <laughs> ad infinitum, right? They, they, they frustrate us when they're not young anymore. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But, you know, it, it becomes a sinful thing for us when we respond out of anger improperly. Are you with me? And so how does this thing about treasuring Christ resolve that problem? Well, if we are are longing for Jesus and to have his virtue, we're going to begin to practice his virtue. We're going to begin to practice his wisdom in our parenting. We're going to begin to practice his patience in our parenting, right? And instead of responding out of anger and creating an angry child, right, what are we going to do? We're going to respond out of wisdom like a godly parent should. And we're going to guide and direct that child properly. Maybe that child needs to be disciplined. Maybe that child needs to be loved and cared for and consoled. Who knows what the situation you're facing is. Are you with me? But this is a very practical thing. The thing is, it's what's motivating you in your sin. And I'm telling you the resolution for it is to put Christ in that place of preeminence. When you do that, you are going to find yourself with new power to overcome sin in your life. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what the sin is. You can apply this principle. When you begin to struggle with that sin, you put Christ in the place of preeminence above that sin. You will find a remedy in Christ for your sin. Amen? Amen. If nothing else, how about forgiveness from the guilt? Because sometimes, you know what? We're just wretched and sinful. And you know what? We just do wretched, sinful things. And you know what we need? We need to be forgiven lest we be consumed by the wrath of a holy God. (laughs) Are you with me? And sometimes we need to be consoled because we're just a pitiful creature many times in our sin. Are we not? God help us. And let me tell you, there's none who can console like Jesus. He knows we are but dust. He knows our struggle with sin. And he's there to comfort and to care for us and to meet our needs and to strengthen us against that sin and to teach us and guide us with his wisdom so that we can overcome it. Amen? God is good, family. He's good. Well, the most loving and beneficial thing that God can command us is to treasure, esteem, and love him more than anything. 
That's the most beneficial thing God can command us to do, is to love him. Because when we love him, it changes everything about our life. From the inside out. Amen? This because he is what is in reality most worthy of being loved. And this causes us to become like him because we seek his virtue and want to possess it more than anything else. Thus we see the reason why the greatest of all commandments is to love God. Okay? You ever thought about that? You know, they come to Jesus. Jesus, what's the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Now stop. Why? Why is that the greatest commandment? I'll tell you why. Because it's God's highest purpose and your greatest need. Are you with me? That's why. And of all the things that you should give yourself to, here's what you should give yourself to. Loving Christ. That's the greatest thing you can do according to Him. (laughs) Are you with me? And this is the most beneficial thing for us. Because... When we, when we love Christ, when we love God, listen, well, that's going to change us to become like him, which is the greatest need we have. Amen? To be healed from our sin. To be set back on the path of life, not on the path of death. Amen? Not on the path of what is wretched and accursed, but on the path of what is living and blessed. Amen? Well, this is why it is the greatest of all commandments is to love God. In other words, the highest of priorities for our lives is to love and honor God. This is said in many ways in Scripture. Consider these few. Like, for instance, where Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You know, he's talking to them there about worrying and about toiling and fretting over their life, right? And, and of course, we're all given to this too, aren't we? We worry and we toil and we fret. And then we do all kinds of bad things. You know, we're fretting and so we get angry and then, we, then we're mean. And we, you know, so, so now because we're fretting and angry because we, we're not trusting in the providence and the sovereignty of God, right? Then, then we get angry and impatient with others and then we're mean to them and now we got all kinds of sinful problems going on. Are you with me? I mean, I mean, I know I'm talking about your life. Because I know you're people just like me, and you struggle with the same things I struggle with. Amen? And the point is just that, listen, if we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, these things like, you know, what we fret over and what we toil over and all those things, listen, God cares for the sparrows. He says, aren't you much more valuable than they he says, Jesus says, let me tell you a remedy to all your fretting. Seek first, preeminently, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Are you with me? Seek the king. Seek your relationship with him. It's, gonna, it's going to resolve your problems. Are you with me? And if God doesn't completely eliminate your problems, he'll walk with you through them. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. God is with you in the midst of the struggle. 
and the trial and the problem. Right? This is very clearly seen in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, am your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to a thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. You see, God's just going through, and he's telling them how to properly live in relationship with him. He says, "He says, listen, you shouldn't have any other gods before you, because I am the Lord, he says. Amen? And he's trying to tell them, I'm your God. I'm the one you worship. I'm the one you bow down to and say, Oh God, deliver me. I'm the one you look to for your sustenance. I'm the one you look to for your deliverance. I'm the one you look to for everything you need in life. Amen? You know, everybody's struggling. And, and you know, look around you. Everybody's uh, uh, dying for fulfillment. Right? There's a million gods in the world. And everybody's you know, going from one false God to another, seeking to be satisfied. <laughs> and there's only one wellspring of life. Amen? There's only one thing that satisfies. If you don't know this, look to Christ. Your search is over. He'll fill the longing of your heart. Amen? So God, in the Ten Commandments, is explaining to them. You can't put these other things in place of me. It's not going to work. <laughs> You're going to wind up worthless, accursed, wretched, which is exactly what happened with Israel. Right? They did that very thing. They exchanged false gods for the worship of the true God. And they wound up in captivity. Well, consider how in commanding these things for us to treasure him first, God really does the greatest service to us because in doing these things, we will ultimately be benefited more than any other thing because our value system will be transformed so that we assess our lives according to truth and reality and make decisions according to God's heavenly wisdom. Listen, this is the most beneficial thing that God can do is to command us to love him. And let me tell you, it is the most beneficial thing that we can give our time to, that we can give our talent to, that we can give our treasure to. This is the key to life. The key to life is loving and honoring and treasuring Christ. He must be supreme in our affections. Are you with me? This is all through the Bible. Listen, God gives us his commandments for our good. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and following. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. 
Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Amen? In other words, he's worthy. He's worthy of your love for him. Amen? He's worthy that you should fear him and love him and serve him and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments. Amen? Let me tell you, that's for your good. That's what the scripture says. And that's what we want ultimately. Frankly, we just want to be happy. We just want to be blessed. We were created that way too. We don't want to die. We don't want to be wretched. We don't want to be accursed. We don't want to have pain or mourning mourning or crying. Right? We want to be happy. We want to be joyful. We want to be fulfilled. We want to be blessed in our goings in and our comings out, right? We want everything in our life to be filled with Christ's love and his kindness and his power and his beauty. Amen? So why would we look anywhere else? When the end of our search and our longing is over in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray for each one in the sound of my uh, voice. God, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. And that, Lord, you are indeed the end of our search, of our constant striving, God, for satisfaction and fulfillment. I pray, Lord, for each and every one that they would, in fact, put you in that place of preeminence and that, God, they would reap the benefits. Lord, not only for their own good, but for an even greater purpose, that you may be glorified, God, that you may be exalted and worshipped and lifted up and that your glory and your beauty might be seen in each one of our lives. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of even knowing or hearing these words. God, they're life-transforming. And we pray that you would take them and by your spirit, God, you would transform us, that we might just be a glorious people before you, God. Fill us with your joy and your power. Fill us, Lord, with your peace and your love and your goodness. We thank you. You're a glorious God. We praise you. I pray, Lord, that you would energize our worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.